Well, good day, everyone. How are you on this fine Monday morning or afternoon for Rob that I see? Glad to have you all with us. Hey, Caitlin, child of Elohim, welcome. Ken, good to have you with us. Good morning, Lewis. Hey, Megan, good morning and glorious Monday to you. It is a great day, not just because it's Monday, but it is the Lord's day. The Lord made this day. Therefore, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Hey, Ron, you're on vacation this week. Excellent. Seems like you're on vacation a lot. <laughs> and you're throwing up some uh, Bible verses up there. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. Those are good things. Hey, uh, Edgar, welcome. Hey, Mike, good to have you with us. So we're in Romans 14, and uh, we started this last uh, Thursday as we sort of defined uh, the weaker brother. And now we're going to walk through uh, the text and uh, look at it verse by verse. We're going to see here a, a virtual definition of the kingdom of God. Now, this is so timely in light of what we looked at over the holidays when I was gone, the recorded series on the, the kingdom in the last days. And as we think about the kingdom now and us being the saints who have received the kingdom and that stone who, uh, which uh, destroys those other kingdoms and is growing into the mountain that's going to fill the earth, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Paul's going to give us a, uh, uh, a working definition of what that kingdom is here in this chapter today. So looking forward to there. But first, let's pick up the context. Well, hey, Amy, she says she's excited about this chapter. Excellent. I uh, didn't see you on the Across the Crown uh, Zoom on Saturday. I hope that's not because my link didn't work. <laughs> uh, by the way, we did record that, and for the partners, uh, you'll have access to it. We went three hours on Saturday. Three hours. <laughs> we were about ready to wrap up at two hours, and uh, Ron, was it you? Somebody asked a question that uh, <laughs> drove us to another hour talking about the second coming or the coming. I should say. Anyway, uh, let's let's stick to Romans for now. Uh, so Romans 1, 14 verse 1 says, And receive him who is weak in the faith, uh, not to determinations of reasonings. One believes that he may eat all things. One who is weak eats herbs. Okay, so we have this, this uh, description here of someone whose uh, faith is weak. And we often call this person, the weaker brother, as opposed to the stronger brother. And it's just important to, to be clear of what we're talking about. The weaker faith brother is not like, uh, we shouldn't think of it as though all of his faith is weak, that he just walks around in great weakness all the time. That's not the point. Now, the point here is uh, someone from a Jewish background who has come to see that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe the gospel. This person believes the gospel. Uh, he or she is persuaded that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. He is the promised Messiah of the old covenant, and so on and so on. But because he is coming out of the old covenant with those very strong warnings of uh, breaking the law and especially the dietary laws and the Sabbath laws, those things, that this person, his faith in the new covenant, in Christ, in the gospel is not strong enough to let go of some of those requirements of the old covenant. They're, they're still learning and thinking through what it means that the old covenant is over and that Christ has come 
and and created the new covenant. So that's the weakness. It has to do with food and observing of days. And that's why Paul here says, one believes he may eat all things. So one person comes to faith in Christ and realizes, hey, excellent. All those dietary laws are over. I can eat whatever I want. And then there's one who eats herbs and presumably eats the the uh, clean meats. But also remember that, uh, do you remember in Acts 15? What happened in Acts 15? Somebody tell me. What, what's... What's the, what's the thing going on in Acts chapter 15? Edgar, you know this. We studied this in, uh, in the Acts or Dale, somebody else. What, uh, what's the big event, big um, significant occurrence in Acts 15? Anybody remember? Amy says, totally spaced. My brain told me 4 p.m. for some reason. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, good, Edgar. The Jerusalem Council, right? I remember the big discussion at that council. Uh, are Gentile converts required to keep the law of Moses? And of course, the answer is no, they are not. But if you recall, there were several things that the council decided they would put on the Gentile converts. Uh, let, me, let me just pull this up here to look at this. Okay. Okay. Uh, Acts 15, 19. For this reason I judge not to trouble those who turn back to God from the nations, so that would be Gentiles, but to write to them, so these are Gentile believers, and this group of uh, Christian leaders here in Acts 14 says, write to them to abstain from the defilements of idols and the whoredom and the strangled thing and the blood. Why? For Moses has those preaching him from former generations in every city being read every Sabbath in synagogues. So these four things that are put upon the Gentiles here in Acts 15 are for the sake of evangelism to the Jews. You see that? Moses is preached in every city. If we do these things, the Jews in these cities will never pay attention to you. These, these are the kind of things that causes the Jews to say, I won't have any conversation with you at all. And one of them is defilements from idols. That's not just abstaining from worshiping idols. Of course, that's ruled out entirely. But later on in chapter 21, Paul defines that as uh, meat offered to idols. So for these Romans, maybe they received the letter or maybe they heard about the letter uh, and there's, there's, uh, their conscience is, is heavy when it comes to meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And their faith is not strong enough to say, it's okay for me to eat that meat offered to idols. That's the weakness, okay? So Paul says, receive the one who is weak in faith. Receive him. Not to determinations of reasonings, not to having dialogues and debates. Now, not he doesn't mean don't dialogue at all, don't talk about it. He means don't receive him simply for the purpose of fighting about it. We know that tendency, don't we? <laughs> hey, you believe in that? You believe in this? Yeah, come on in so that we can just sit here and, and have debates and argue the whole time. Paul says, no, don't do that. 
just take him as he is. Now, I think it's fine if you can help someone come to see the truth and grow in their faith and the freedom of the gospel. That's fine. But there is a difference between letting that conversation come up and and helping the person grow and receiving them into the group just so that you can hammer them. You know, it's like, uh, look, we, I'm, I'm sure most of you are, um, are friendly with New Covenant theology, right? I hear from you all the time. We are, uh, we are not adherents to dispensational theology or covenant theology. And how easy is it to invite someone in our groups so that we can, you know, to set up, right? We just want to hammer them and try to knock their dispensational uh, statue off the, the mantle, so to speak. And Paul here would be saying, yeah, don't do that. Certainly have the conversation, and we should all be seeking truth, but if you're receiving somebody into the group simply so you can have a fight, that's not where it's at. So it goes on. Do not let him who is eating despise him who is not eating. So you understand that you are free to eat any food you want. Don't despise the one whose conscience says, I shouldn't eat that meat. And do not let him who is not eating judge him who is eating. So if you're the one whose conscience is weighed down and says, I don't think I can eat that meat because it was bought at a marketplace that came out of the temple of Zeus, you are not to judge the one who eats the meat. Why? For God received him. Both groups are okay before God. God has received both. Therefore, we should receive both. Now, here's where we need to have careful, nuanced thinking. Obviously, we are not dealing with something here that is objectively sinful. You can't apply this verse to fornication, for instance. Paul is not saying, hey, you who think you are free to sleep with anybody you want to, and others of you think you can only sleep with a spouse, God's received you both. Get along. Don't judge one another. That we know is not true because it is objectively sinful to have sex with someone you're not married to. And we are not to receive those who are committing fornication, and we are to judge them, not condemn them. That's, that's God's business, but judge them and call them into repentance. Because if it's objectively sinful in God's eyes, then Paul doesn't say, oh, just everybody get along over this. No. Eating food is not objectively sinful. Therefore, we're not to let this be a dividing line. Do you see that nuance? It is very important with all the stuff going on today, with transgender stuff and homosexuality and and a variety of things. This is not talking about objectively sinful things. I trust that you all see that. He says, you who are... Who are you that you are judging another's domestic, and here the uh, literal says, uh, affairs. Notice it's in brackets to show that's not, um, that's not in the original. Uh, 
it could also be another domestic servant. Uh, someone, where's is, where is he going here? You, when you judge the person who's eating or who's not eating, you're judging someone else's domestic person or, or slave, as he's going to get on to say here, right? That, that Christian is not your slave. So why are you judging him? To his own master, he stands or falls. Right? So you're judging the one who sees this differently than you do, and you shouldn't because that's not your task, your role, though he belongs to someone else. And that master will be able, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, to his own master he stands or falls, and he will be able to stand, for God is able to make him stand. When he stands before his master in judgment, he'll be okay. So don't you judge him when the master is not judging him. And then he uses another example. One judges one day above another. That would be, again, this Jew coming out of Judaism into Christianity who is still now holding up the Sabbath day like we should keep it. And so he's judging that one day as more holy than all the other days. And another person judges every day alike. This is me, for instance. <laughs> I don't believe there's any day. I don't, I don't even think that Sunday is held up in the scripture as a holy day. Paul says, let each one be fully assured in his own mind. Again, do you see that objectively there is no day that is set apart? If there were a day that God had set apart now, then he would not be able to say this. If God expects us to set aside one day, Paul would not say, it's okay for those of you who judge every day the same. No, he'd be saying, there is a day and you all need to keep this day holy. But that's not part of the new covenant. And in case I provoked you there, show me where the Lord's day is Sunday and where there's any command to keep the Lord's day. And what are we supposed to do on that Lord's day? And for those of you from a covenant reform background, show me where the Sabbath is ever referred to as the Lord's Day or Sunday is ever referred to the Sabbath. It's not there. In the New Covenant, every day is the same. So that's the example. One judges one day above another, another judges every day alike. Let each one be fully assured in his own mind. You've got to make up your own mind about this. If, if you're convicted that you should keep the Sabbath, Paul says, fine, don't judge one another over this. Why? Well, he who is regarding the day, the one who is still keeping the Sabbath, he regards it to the Lord. Right? His motives are pure. He believes this is what the Lord wants. And he who is not regarding the day, he does not regard it to the Lord. Right? I'm, I'm persuaded that every day is the same. So, And I'm doing that because I believe that's how the Lord set it up. So I'm not keeping any day holy because I think that's what the Lord wants. <laughs> that's kind of a strange way to put it. It's the negatives. He who is eating eats to the Lord. Right? So if I enjoy meat, even if it was bought from Zeus's market, 
I'm doing it for the Lord because I believe that I'm free in Christ to do this. And the, the new covenant does not have any restrictions on food. He gives thanks to God. Yep, I give thanks all the time for my food. He who is not eating, the one who says, no, my conscience just isn't clear eating that food from Zeus's market, he does not eat to the Lord. And he gives thanks to God, right? He eats this, uh, this beef that he raised himself <laughs> or some other clean animal and says, I'm not going to eat the meat from a pagan market, but I give thanks for God's goodness in providing this other meat. Both people are giving thanks to God for their food. It's all about the Lord. None of us lives to himself and none dies to himself. Now that's an interesting statement. Your life is not yours and your death is not yours. You, it's not about you if you're a Christian, right? For both, if we may live, we live to the Lord. If also we may die, we die to the Lord. Everything is for the Lord. Life, death, that sort of covers everything. It's all to the Lord. Both then if we may live and if we may die, we are the Lord's. For because of this, Christ both died and rose again and lived again. Some of your translations don't have the rose again because that's not in the best manuscripts, but that's not a big deal here. Christ died and he lived again. Why? That he may be Lord both of dead and of living. All right, so Jesus came and died and lived again so that he could be the king. That he could be the Lord, the master of everyone who is dead and alive. So your life, your death, you're eating, you're not eating, you're holding one day separate, you're not holding one day separate, whatever it is, all of life is to the Lord. He died so that he could be the Lord of everyone and everything. What's the point? The Lord is the judge and the king, not you and not me. And you, brother, why do, your ju why do you judge your brother? You have no right. You're not the Lord. You're not the king. Or again, you, why do you set at nothing your brother? So the one who thinks I shouldn't eat meat and I must keep the Sabbath, why are you judging the one who sees it differently? And the one who says, no, I'm free to do whatever, why do you set at nothing your brother who does keep a day apart and refrains from meat? We will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ, or again, the best manuscripts say, of God. None of you out there listening to me are ever going to stand before me at judgment. And I'm not going to stand before you. <laughs> That's all a good thing, isn't it? No, none of us are going to none of us are going to give an account to another human being for our choices in what we eat and how we keep days not. No, we are, are all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. So what does he think? And now he quotes from Isaiah, for it is written, I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give reckoning to God concerning himself. Therefore, may we judge one another no longer, but rather judge this, 
You want to make a judgment? Here's your judgment. Judge not to put a stumbling stone before the brother or an offense. Okay, so this is very important. And my guess is this will raise a question about things like drinking alcohol and so on that we'll come back and look at tomorrow if if I get questions on this. But here's the judgment. Stop judging one another because Christ is the judge. We're going to stand before him at judgment, not each other. Now, here's the judgment. You who are stronger, who recognize there is no day that's set apart, there's no food that is off limits, Okay, so my guess is that's many of my audience right here, many of you. I saw some amens when I talked about there, you know, there's no, no holy day for us in the new covenant. Saw some amens there. Okay, so you're free. Your, your faith is strong. And my guess is that most of you feel free to eat whatever you want to. That's where I'm at. I believe Paul would call us the stronger brother, the, 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 the brothers of, of strong faith. Here's his command to us. Do not put a stumbling block in front of the weaker brother. What does that mean? That means I'm not going to invite that man over and offer him meat that everybody knows has been purchased at the Zeus market. Is that because there really is something wrong with eating that meat? No. Look what he says here. I have known and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself. The meat purchased from the pagan market is not unclean. It is perfectly fine before the Lord to eat it. Except to him who is reckoning anything to be unclean to that one, It is unclean. See what he's doing there? If if someone's conscience is weighed down with the, the guilt, feeling like that meat, I shouldn't be eating that meat. I believe it offends the Lord Jesus for me to eat the meat that was bought from that pagan temple. For that person... The meat is actually unclean. Not because the meat itself is unclean. But as he's going to go on and say, if you act contrary to your conscience, that is sin. Or I think the actual wording he's going to use, if you can't do it out of faith, It's sin. Let that settle in for a minute. So the thing objectively is not wrong. But if I believe it to be wrong, it is wrong. I'm just going to let that sit here for a minute and, and push a little further. I see our time is running out. And then we'll come back and unpack some more of this tomorrow because these are some important concepts that we need to have some nuance thinking about. All right, but do you see this? I have known and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself except to him who is reckoning anything to be unclean. To that one, it is unclean. 
If your brother is grieved through food, you no longer walk according to love. So you're setting out this buffet, this banquet of meat that you got on sale from the pagan idol, and you invite your weaker faith brother over, you are grieving him. It's not loving to eat this meat in front of him. Do not destroy with your food that one for whom Christ died. Do not then let evil be spoken of your good. It is good for you to feel the freedom to eat whatever you want. But it is not good to destroy your brother with your freedom. That is a weighty statement. Uh, we'll come back tomorrow. I just I want to I want to get to this point just to finish this up. Why? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But it is life in a millennial reign that's coming a thousand years someday. No, that's not what he says, is it? The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Think about that. This is the kingdom. For he who in these things is serving Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. All right, there's so much more here. We will come back tomorrow and, uh, and look at more of these things in depth. But give it some thought. There is there's a lot here that is worth pondering and, and learning from. Let me, uh, I saw a comment or two I wanted to quickly take a look at it and then we'll call it a day. Rob says, you may gently guide a person into right behavior as Aquila and Priscilla did in Acts, but never force a view. Yep, that's, that's good. Of course, we should all want to grow. So to have conversations is great. But you know the difference between someone who disagrees with you and wants to, uh, uh, to, to have the dialogue and the person who's condemning you, right? Those are very different. Ken says, it would be sinful though if you think abstaining would make you more acceptable to God or would save you. Uh, yeah, so we'll come back and talk about this tomorrow. That's a great question. Let's uh, let's take that up tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> I see lots of people what they're eating. That's good. Uh, Edgar says, I personally like to be around people that drink even if they are Christians. Uh, you say you do like to be around them? So I know if alcohol will be there, I won't. You, so what you meant to say is you don't like to be around. That's fair. All right. Uh, let me just let that sit and look carefully at these verses and think about it. And we'll come back and look at some of the, uh, the nuances and implications tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless you today.